0: Well, it's good to see you all. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you feel like you've got a mentor in the room watching you, uh, what you're doing. Today kind of feels like that, but I'm excited to have Todd and Jamie here, and just uh, I'm excited to be with you today. But we are continuing our series called Redeeming Rest, and if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Exodus chapter 31, so I encourage you to turn there, time to get ready. If you're new to church, it's Genesis, Exodus. You don't have to go very far in your Bible uh, to find out where we're at. Um, Exodus 31. And uh, yes, it was a blessing growing up under Todd and Jamie's uh, tutelage and just their leadership for us. And um, you'll hear more from Jamie later as you're going to find out that she's speaking at a refresh event coming up. Um, Let me tell you a story. So in high school, I played basketball for Mustang. Uh, I was our starting center at Mustang High School, which sounds cool. It really wasn't. we were the worst team in 6A basketball. To give you perspective, I did, I think, five homecomings my senior year, which means we were the guaranteed wins for other schools. Uh, I mean, I actually got humiliated all the time. And so my senior year, uh, we had built a reputation as being a terrible team, and and we're just kind of depressed this season. And and our last game of the year was against a team called Choctaw. And Choctaw was the second to worst team next to us. And so we were excited for senior night, because we're thinking, This is the night to redeem ourselves, go out with a bang, go out with our head hill high, we're we're, we're going to win this game. And we play the game and we're just getting beat to death. I mean, to give you perspective, with one minute left, their player comes and dunks on me in a game, which if you're not a basketball player, is extremely embarrassing. Our coach calls a timeout, Grew us together, our heads are down, we're defeated, and we're thinking this is the most embarrassing night, embarrassing season. I wish we'd get this over with. And as the coach calls a timeout, two of our players, two of our point guards, get the idea and said, Listen, we got to go out with something with our head held high. And so they contrived this plan that with the game, with one minute left, as one point guard comes down, the other one is going to get on his hands and knees in the game, and the other guy's going to jump off his back to try to dunk the basketball because we were so so unathletic that no one could do it on the team. That, that was the plan. Now, if you don't know anything about basketball, even you know that sounds foolish, okay? To, to add on top of all of this, that night was the Cox Communication Game of the Week, which means it was televised on TV, so, so as this game goes on, our point guard runs, jumps off his back, tries to dunk, and as he goes up, one of the big ogres for Choctaw tackled him, threw him toe to the ground. Uh, our referee called a technical on our guys, ejected him from the game for unsportsmanlike conduct, which I didn't know existed in basketball, and it was just a complete humiliation. I mean, everyone was booing us. It was, it, was, it was at our home gym, too. I mean, it was so, the, the superintendent came in our locker room and lectured of how embarrassing that was. Our coach was embarrassed. We, we heard later through the grapevine that the next week they were talking about on the sports animal, and Jim Traber was talking about it was the most uh, unprofessional thing or whatever thing he'd ever seen in his life, the, the, the unsportsman thing he'd ever seen in his life. Now, at the moment, we didn't see much was going on, but our coach did not talk to us for a week. And he talked about how much we embarrass him. I learned from that moment that in, in that moment, when we were wearing Mustang on our chest and we were there, we were representing him. We were representing that team. And so now everyone was looking to him to look at how terrible he was as a coach and how terrible he was at getting us ready and how terrible and undisciplined of a team we were. We, we were poor witnesses of representation of who he is. Uh, let me just ask you real quick, have you ever poorly represented someone in your life? Whether it be a boss, or maybe you've been on the receiving end, or maybe a parent, or maybe your kids, they do something act in such a way that has embarrassed you as a parent, or maybe a team, or maybe here's one we can relate to, an HOA, right? Homeowner Association, anybody see those going on? Uh, I'm seeing some elbow nods and some head nods right there at that one. You might say, what does that have to do with today's topic? Well, we're in a series called Redeeming Rest, and as Grant shared earlier about this, we're talking about what does the Bible say when it comes to rest? Why is it so important? What is God trying to relate to us, trying to teach us, and trying to get us to do through it? Is it just about not working? Is that what God's getting at? And so we're doing a whole series unpacking the biblical concept of it. And we've been answering questions each week that you may have in your mind when it comes to questions about rest. And today the question is this, does rest matter if it only affects me? Because there's some of you under the sound of my voice, I can almost promise you saying, it doesn't really matter. I enjoy my work. I enjoy, I find meaning, I find purpose. What, What does it matter if I keep working, if I keep doing this, if it only affects me? Well, why does it matter? Or does it matter? The reality is, just as a story I told, him, I'd say this, our rest does matter because our rest doesn't just affect us, but it affects our witness to God. You see, I say it like this, our big idea is our rest is a witness to others, to who God is. Your ability to find rest, to stop, to find enjoyment in God has a direct effect on what people think about God, his reputation, and his character, much like my coach did that day. Where people look at him and say, this is an undisciplined team. They have no respect for you. They have no respect for the game. They have no respect for anything. How we rest directly affects what people think about God. And scripture points to that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you that point in Exodus chapter 31. Hopefully you're there. Exodus 31, we're going to read verses 12 through 18 and unpack this. Now, and I'll give you context to set up what's going on. And Exodus is a book about God delivering his chosen people who are going to bring redemption to the world. He's made a covenant with them in Genesis and said, hey, listen, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And you think that would end well, but Genesis ends uh, with them moving to to Egypt and Exodus begins with them spending 400 years in slavery under the Egyptian rule of people. And they're sitting there going, man, where's God's promises? I thought you were giving us something good. I thought you promised us blessings. What's going on? And so God goes through a a, 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 process. Routine, sorry, he goes through the process of delivering them out of the slavery of, the, of uh, Egypt. He takes them across the Red Sea, you've probably heard that story, and they come the other side. That's all Exodus chapter um, 1 through 18. And as they come out and they begin to get established and they become finally the people of God, living in the freedom of God, chapter 19 through 31 begins to unpack what it looks like to live in relationship with God. This is completely foreign to them in many ways. Now that we can do everything God's calls to do in the freedom of it, what, what does it look like to do this? You see, God is telling them what it looks like to follow him. He's wanting to display his greatness, love, and faithfulness to his people. And so when you pick up Exodus chapter 31, verse 12 through uh, 17, God is specifically telling them when it comes to rest what he wants of them. Now listen to what it says. The Lord said to Moses, So tell the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, so that you will know that I am the Lord who consecrates you. Observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Like whoever profanes it must be put to death. If anyone does work on it, the person must be cut off from his people. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Like anyone who does work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it throughout their generations as a permanent covenant. It's a sign forever between me and the Israelites, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. Um, what an interesting text. When he talks about Sabbath, he's talking about a day of stop. That word Sabbath means to cease, to, to stop. And he's asking them, listen, there's something to be one day a week that you stop your work. Now, now, you read the text and say, well, how does how this point to God, uh, us being a witness to God? How, how does rest witness to God? And I want to show you four points in this text, I think, that unpacks about how our witness through our rest points to God. The first one is this. Look at verse 12 and 13. Our rest displays God's uniqueness. It says, the Lord said to Moses in verse 12, Tell the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath, for it is a sign between me and you through your generation, so that you will know that I am the Lord who consecrates you. Like, Make no mistake, our rest shows that our God is different and unique. I mean, look at some things it has there. You have before this text that we've even read in Exodus chapter 25 through 31, God has a unique location called the tabernacle where he's going to reside and he's going to be. And for, for them, they believed God resided in the Holy of Holies and God literally was there. They knew where he was at and God had a special location designated just for him in the Old Testament. He has a unique day. Look what he says. He says, I want you to observe what? My Sabbaths. That there's a special day unique to me. There's a unique relationship. He says there's a sign, what, between me and you. When he says the you, it means plural. All of you, the Israelites. He's like, this is a special, unique relationship. It's a unique lifestyle. He tells them, I am the Lord who, what, consecrates you. Consecrates means to, set afi- to sanctify or set apart. God is unique. In other words, listen, th- he's not like any other God. And that may not seem significant to you today, but our world is trying to lump our God into every other God in the world. And God's saying, no, listen, I'm not like them. I'm not just another. understand the uniqueness of our God. He's not just another God. I'll never forget when I was at OBU, I took a world religions class and we studied other religions. And I know I've shared this before, but one of the assignments we had was we had to go to a worship service of another faith, another religion. And so we opted to go to a Hindu temple to go check out what was going on. We sat and watched and listened and everything that was going on. And at the end of the service, we went and talked to our leader who was leading. We began to ask questions. He began to educate us about the thousands and thousands, I think over 3,000 gods they had that they worshipped. And we asked, and one of the per- students that came with us says, well, what about Jesus? And you know what his response was? Yeah, Adam on top. He's another one. It's okay. Yeah, he can be one of the gods. Sure, like it's no big deal. No, no, God's not just another God, he's a unique God. God's not just another God, he's not even just a similar God. People try to lump our God and say, well, he's similar, so it's kind of the same thing. Josiah and Chris and I just got back from Salt Lake City, Utah, scouting out a mission opportunity. And we're talking to uh, Mormons who are there, people of the Latter-day Saints Church. And as we begin to dialogue them about our faith and their faith, they're trying to convince me that the God I worship is the same God they worship. And as we began to dialogue and discuss, I, I said, listen, it's not the same God. Because Jesus they're talking about paid only for part of their sins, not all of their sins. And I'm like, listen, Jesus paid for all my sins. Your God you're talking about is not the same. Our God is unique. Our God is different. My question to you is this. Listen, do people see a unique God through you? In the way that you rest, in the way that you find joy in the Lord, do they look like, man, there's something different about this person's god i think of emily and i we've uh, started this habit of Sabbath for us on friday a day of rest for us on fridays uh, again love what i do here but this is in some sense a day of work for us and so fridays we found a day where we just stop and spend time as family and I'll never forget sitting with family in Texas and talking about what we do on Fridays. And these are all Christian people, don't get me wrong. And I'm telling what's going on about how we, we just find enjoyment and rest in the Lord. And they're all in there and say, what are you doing? Like, that's, that's just, like, that's so different. That's so unique. They're, they're curious about what we're doing what our God's about because we're different. Does your rest look different than everyone else's? Or is it the same? Like, do you just look as as hurried as the pace of everyone else in the world and you're getting one day less of sleep than everyone else? Why, Why would I want your God? You see, the Sabbath shows that God is unique. The second thing you see is not only does it show God's uniqueness, our rest displays God's worthiness. Look at verse 14 to 15. He says, observe the Sabbath for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes it must be put to death. Now, that's pretty harsh. We'll come back to that. Since if anyone does work on it, that person must be cut off from his people. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath of complete rest. Holy to the Lord. Like, anyone who does work on a Sabbath day must be put to death. Like, God shows his worthiness through our ability to rest. Now, that's a loaded word. You say, what does worthy mean? A definition is this. Having qualities that deserve your respect or attention. If you're like me, I zone out when I read Webster's Dictionary, so let me give a more modern example. The best example of I see of someone living out worthiness in my life is my father-in-law's treatment to my mother-in-law. It's one of the qualities that I admire about the man. You see, no matter what you see, he treats his wife as worthy. He never says a dad worth her. He never talks bad about her. He always is looking to, to meet her needs and does whatever she wants. I'll never forget being in high school when Todd was our pastor and Emily and I were dating then. This was my girlfriend's dad, and we went on a youth trip I'll never forget on this youth trip, we started playing cards. We saw my music minister and my youth pastor playing spades against my future father-in-law and future mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, future mother-in-law, made a very foolish spades move. I won't go into the details of it, but made a very foolish spades move and lost the game. Now, now, my youth minister and my worship minister then were just having our time and chastising my father in law, saying, Man, can you believe what Tammy did? Aren't you embarrassed? Like, that was, that was such a dumb move. Can you believe that? And I, to this day, have never seen my father in law as fired up as he was in that moment. He got up, veins started popping out of his head. I didn't know he had. And he said, that's my wife. Don't you ever say, it. I will never be embarrassed. How dare you, man? And for a student, minister, student right there, I was enjoying watching my youth minister walk away with his tail tucked between his legs. Like, dude, go at it, man. Let him have it. Here's the thing, listen. You will not disrespect and she is worthy of his attention. And so when I speak of the worthiness of God, that's what I'm saying right here. God is worthy of us. Now you might say well in what ways could God could people treat God unworthy? Look at verse 14. He says observe the Sabbath for it's holy. He says whoever profanes it. That word profanes refers to treating something holy as though it were common or ordinary. Like it's just it's just typical. There's nothing special about this. He says anybody that treats it as just ordinary, listen, he should be put to death. You see one way we can treat God not as worthy is through our attitude. We approach God like he's just my homeboy. <laughs> you know, it's not a big deal. I'm not speaking to the God of the universe, the Holy of Holies, the, the who he is. I don't treat him with the respect we have. Sometimes it's not even our attitude, it's through our actions. Look at the next part in verse 15. He says, work may be done for six days, but on seventh day there must be a Sabbath to complete rest, holy to the Lord. He's detailing exactly what he expects his Sabbath to look like. Six days of work, one day of rest. And yet he says, if someone blatantly disobeyed and their actions blatantly does that... Listen, they, they should be cut off. They, they, they need to be put to death. Now, now, I know if you were like me, that caught you off guard, right? Because if you miss a Sunday, we're going to kill you. No, we're not going to do that, okay? Now, let me just say what, what, what's going on. That seems a bit extreme. And before I explain why it's extreme and why God puts parameters like that, let me just give you a forward look to what happens in chapter 32. Look down in your text and see what happens. Probably tops your text, it says golden calf. Moses has been gone for 40 days on the top of Mount Sinai, getting the directions from God. In 40 days, Lord of the Flies takes on, and they go completely nuts as a group of people. So much of the weather up, listen to what it says. It says they come like, Listen, Moses is gone. Let's make a God for ourselves. And their chosen priest, Aaron, leads the way. He's like, Give me all your gold jewelry. We'll melt it together. And they make a golden calf of their own. And in verse 4, it says this And they said to Israel, These are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This calf we made is your God, worship it. How quickly David God becomes unworthy and replaced in their attitudes and actions. Now now you hear that and you say, yeah, but still Eric, killing someone or cutting someone off and say they're no longer fit for God's blessing seems a bit harsh, why is that? Let me just explain something to you that is foreign to us. Number one, let me say this, listen, disobedience is a sign of rebellion. God has made clear, "I, I, I command you, to take a day and rest. And people that don't, in this text right here, were blatantly rebelling to God in disobedience. As a matter of fact, the New American Commentary says this. It said the Sabbath is a sign of obedience to the covenant God had made. It said those who keep no Sabbath are by their very actions indicating openly to all that they are not partners to this covenant. In other words, listen, God was using the Sabbath as a sign of his covenant about how good he was. And by their blatant rebellion, they were giving a different sign that God is not worthy enough. And that I will do whatever I want and you will not tell me what to do. So disobedience is an open sign of rebellion. The second reason I say is this, listen, not only is disobedience a sign of rebellion, but our rebellion, you have to get this through your mind, is against the holy God. God's, Holiness has to be taken into account. Let me me say it like this. Listen, our consequences are not based on the greatness of sin, but the greatness of the one sinned against. In other words, there are different consequences based on the level of authority. Like like if I were today, get frustrated and go slap Josiah in the face, you guys might get upset, I might lose my job, that that might be the consequences, right? There's consequences for my action. If I get done because I'm mad because you guys fired me and I leave here and get pulled over and a cop pulls me over and I slap that police officer, there's going to be much different consequences. Why? Because he's an officer of the law. They take me to court and somehow the president comes up and I get angry and I slap the president. There are going to be different consequences. Why? It's the same slap, but it's a different person. And we might look at our sin as though, man, it's just small. It's it's just one day. What's the big deal? Listen, it's not about the size of our sin. It's about the greatness of the God we sinned against. And for our day and time, that sounds unjust and unfair. But maybe for us, we really don't recognize God for who he is. And so when we Sabbath, listen, it points to the worthiness of God. And so my question to you is this. Do people see a God worthy of my rest? When people look at you and say, man, why, why, are you, why are you stopping? Why are you doing this? you got so much to do. Listen, God has told me to do this. I'm going to do it. But, but there, don't you need it? Yeah, I need to do it. But, but God's worthy for me to be obedient to what he says. The people see that in your life. Or, or is God in your life below the pecking order where he's submissive to you? God, God, if I have extra time, then I'll give it to you. But if not, you bend into my will. You see, we witness through showing God's uniqueness. We witness through showing God's worthiness. But look at verse 16 and 7. Another thing. Our rest displays God's goodness. It says the Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it through their generations as a permanent covenant. It's a sign forever between me and the Israelites. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Like Sabbath was the sign of God's lasting promise and faithfulness, the goodness of God. Look at the language in there. He's like, listen, it's a celebration. He didn't say it's work. He didn't say it's tedious. He's like, listen, when you come at Sabbath, man, it is a celebration. It's a celebration forever. It's a I promise. It's going to last. It's going to be for generations. This is for your kids and your kids' kids and your grandkids going along the, the line. This is something good for you. Do you see God is showing his goodness through his Sabbath? L- let me ask you this. Listen, um, how appealing is God to others through our rest? The Sabbath here showed that Israelites were not, simply, were not simply working for God, but that God was working through them. We're not a slave to God to just check in the box and do everything, but God works through us and does stuff. And when we rest, people get to see that. Let me ask you again. Listen, how appealing is God to others through the rest? your rest? Every person I've ever talked to that's worked in the food industry says this, the worst crowd in the world are people on Sunday mornings. They, they are miserable. They're the worst tippers. They make the biggest mess. They have the biggest attitudes. They dread it. Some, some are like, I don't even want to work on Sundays because of they people. What, are, what vibe are you giving off that your God is good, that I want anything that you have? If anything, you're someone that should be pitied saying, man, it, man, it really stinks for you because you didn't get to sleep in this morning. You could have got stuff done. The reality is God should be exuding through us in such goodness that we're like, man, what do you have because I want that? And the reality is we're given such a bad appeal on God's behalf through our our actions and our motives. And so when we rest, when we find rest in God, we we display his uniqueness, we display his worthiness, we display his goodness. But there's one more thing that's displayed and I think it's so important for us to grasp. It's this, our rest displays God's invitation. Now, now if you have been following along and looking at the text, you, you should notice something that I intentionally did. We're out of text here. We've come to the end. We've come to verse 17. So where, where's the fourth point, Eric? It's not here. And the truth is, it's not here. Because the Israelites were missing something then that we have now. They could speak to something then that they could only imagine, but yet we have in the fullness. You say, what is that? Well, listen to what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 4, they'll have on the screen, says, and the author of Hebrews is speaking to the Old Testament law that God, God had put together here and is telling them back in Exodus. and Listen to what it says. It says, Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect worshipers by the same sacrifices they continue to offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in the sacrifice, was a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. He's saying this, listen, in the Old Testament, listen, it was never meant to last. That God would come and fulfill something through that, and they had an incomplete picture of what was to come. It was incomplete, and this was not God's long-term intent. There was something better to come that they could only dream of and imagine. That they only had a sample they only had a sample. Do you know what I mean by sample? What happens on Saturdays and Sundays at Sam's? Yeah, you know right where I'm going with this. My family loves it. Sometimes we might just go there just for that. If you don't know and you're out of the loop wondering why everyone's laughing, laughing, on Saturdays and Sundays, if you go to Sam at peak season time, you walk around in the aisles. They have sample lines. they got people's little cups, and you can go take your tiny spoon made for a mouse and take a little bite and eat it and go, oh, man, that's good. And what do you do? You run to the next one, take a little bite, and you go to the next one. My family would just go on a circuit around and around and around and around. Now, Now, what do those samples serve to do? Are they meant to satisfy you? Are they meant to fill you? No, they're meant to give you a taste of what you can really find down the aisle in the third bin to the right, right? The full package of the meal right there. In the Old Testament, God is giving a sample. He calls it shadows of what's to come, a sample of the fullness that we find in Christ. The, the Old Testament was incomplete in this. So, so what do we have that they didn't? Well, Hebrews 4:38 tells us that God's will was for something better, for something new, for something more. And it says in verse 10, it says this, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. It says every priest stands day after day ministering, offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never, listen to that, never take away sins. But this man being Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, set down at the right hand of God, He's now waiting until his enemies are made his footstools. For by one offering, he's perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, This is the covenant I will make them after those days, the Lord says. I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. I will never again remember their sins and their lost acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. Don't miss this next part because it's important. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he's inaugurated for us a new living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts, sprinkled clean from, the, uh, uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure of water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful what is that saying we, we have it all you see they, they had a pale symbol into the presence of God but we have direct access to God through Jesus Christ they, they didn't have an invitation you had to be born into the invitation And through that promise, eventually an invitation would come in Jesus Christ and he would die on the cross for the sins for all mankind. And if we would just come believe him, we're invited to the full presence, the full goodness of God. We have an invitation to rest in God. Jesus would say it like this, and Grant read it earlier, and I love that he did. Matthew 11, 28-30 says this, Come to me all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does that mean, finding rest in Jesus? It means no more trying to be good enough. No more chasing that hamster wheel perfection that you and I know we can never live up to. This is what made me come to realization of who Jesus Christ is and give my life to him. You see, my family grew up in the church at Han Hills Baptist Church, and my family was faithful in keeping us in the routine every week coming. And even though they preached the truth to me time and time again, I had come to believe in my own heart that God's desire for me was just to be good enough. Even at a young age, I believe God just wanted me to be a good person. If I worked really hard, tried to be a good moral person, if I came to church, if I read my Bible and did right stuff, I would make God happy. If you've ever felt that way, you know that hamster will because you never feel like, man, am I doing it? Am I good enough? Am I living up to a standard that I know inside I'm missing? Something's gone. And finally on one Sunday when I was eight years old, teacher named Miss Joanna Hughes sat there and, and asked me directly about the gospel. And even though I heard it time and time again, I can't explain to you why in that moment, suddenly it connected. She began to explain to me that without Jesus Christ, my life was destined for a very dark place and that God's intention for me was not to try to live up to this hamster wheel perfection, but to understand that I couldn't be perfect, that Jesus Christ was perfect on my behalf, and that he paid my price so that I could come and experience the fullness and joy of God and not chase this never-ending ha- hamster wheel. And so right then and there, I prayed to God. I came and said, God, listen, I, I know I can't do this anymore. I'm exhausted. Would you come and be my guide? I admit my sins will never be accounted for by my own actions. I asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. And in that moment, listen, I'm telling you right now, I found freedom, I found rest. I found that, you know what, listen, I don't have to run and keep chasing this never-ending circle. And and I come to learn this, listen, that God wasn't just saving me from hell, he was saving me to a relationship where I could find rest on a daily basis. And the the more I rest, the more people see that invitation to that rest because they want to know what I have. How can they have it? And, and I tell you that story because, listen, some of you in the sound of my voice right now can identify with what I'm saying. You, you believe your presence here today is checking the box that makes God happy. And if I keep chasing this and if I keep doing this, if I give just enough tithe to, to the church or the convention, if I, if I do just enough good stuff, God might love me. And you've got to understand, listen, that's great stuff, but it will never measure up. And if you want to find freedom And deliverance, you've got to come to a point and say, God, listen, my sins have separated from you, and I want your forgiveness, I want your grace. Some of you are saying, you don't understand what I've done. God can never love me. Scripture tells us, for while God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. You say, well, God can never forgive me. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, forgive us all unrighteousness. The beauty of the gospel is this, is that God will not force his will on you but he gives us free will to choose him. And no one in this room can make that choice for you. And if you want rest and you want to walk away today with the freedom, this burden off your shoulder that comes to the grace of the gospel, you have to decide today for yourself. And so I'm going to ask you, just with everything I've presented, hopefully something's stirring in you right now, I'm going to ask if you to just bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a second. If what I said caught your attention and made you realize man Eric, I think you're talking to me. I feel like right now you're speaking to me. Listen, maybe I am and maybe I know God is. And we're going to offer you an opportunity to come and accept that gift, accept that rest. I'm going to be available up front. We're going to have other leaders available. You come and just say, "Listen, I want that rest." I want to experience that joy Eric's talking about. But you have to make the decision. You might be intimidated by what people think of you or if people look around, listen, there's nothing more than we would celebrate than you coming to the fullness and belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The question is, will you respond? And so here in a second, with your head bowed, eyes closed, as you just spin a second the Lord, Grant's going to start playing music here in just a second. And the moment he does, if you feel like God's calling you to come and enjoy his rest, you come and find one of us today. You walk right up to us. Don't be afraid. For the rest of you who have come to experience the love of God and you come to say, listen, I'm a child of God. You might have salvation, but are you truly living in the rest of God? Are you truly enjoying the benefit of what it means to be a believer of Jesus Christ? Are you truly embodying the witness where people look at your life and say, I want what that person has. What needs to change today for you? And maybe you need to respond too maybe it's a recommitment to the lord hey god i've gotten off track and i've tried to do it myself and you never meant for this for me and today you need to come up and pray with one of us and allow us to encourage you in that i'm going to pray and as soon as i'm done praying grant's going to start singing and if you feel called you feel led you feel that stirring you come and talk to one of us father god i love you i thank you for the beauty of the gospel i thank you for the example of the old testament But help us understand that example wasn't meant for the Israelites. You have given us a new promise. We don't have to wait just one day to rest. We get to rest seven days a week in your presence. We get to walk in the freedom of knowing that we are a child of God. I don't have to earn your love. I don't have to earn your credit. You've given it to me through your blood. And God, I thank you for that. I thank you for getting a hold of me at eight years old and changing my life through it. And God, I pray myself and like others in the room that we would be positive witnesses for who you are and how great you are. God, I know there's people in the sound of my voice right now who are desperate for rest. They're tired of chasing that proverbial carrot on a stick. God, that wasn't your intention for them. Your word tells us that you loved us so much that you gave your one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That was your will, that was your desire. And I pray today we would come and believe that. So God, I, I feel like maybe you might be stirring someone's heart today. Give them the courage to get up. Give them the courage to take that first step and just to walk up to one of our leaders and just say this, I I want rest. God, I love you because you've given an invitation to us all, but it's our job to respond. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You want to respond as soon as Grant starts singing. You got some in the back. You can see them back here. Got one of our elders. Got myself. Listen, you come respond. But don't leave here today carrying that burden any longer. Let's worship.